Today we discuss beauty, which can be a triggering subject, but stick around because we're going to transform the stereotypes. And by the end, you'll find yourself radiating with the perception of divine love in this week's NCE Spotlight. You're home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Hello, Dr. Jonathan Rose. It's Chelsea here. Yeah, and Curtis is here too, if that changes your mind. <laughs> hey, no, I feel very good about both of you being here. <laughs> Do come in. Wonderful. Oh, thanks so much. I'm so glad to get to be here. It's great to be here. Yeah. It feels like it's been a while, but I'm really excited to hear what gems you have for us this week with wherever you are in your editing. I don't even know. It's like we dip into this stream and we just see what what we catch. It's really been striking me how many gems there are. And when I do a read, uh, I'll find some gems and gather them. And then I do a reread of the volume. And I often find different things on that, that second read. Mm. It's just fun to see how they keep keep surfacing. So it makes the mining all the more fun. So um, today I was thinking of talking about a kind of an interesting topic of um, that relates to how things appear and particularly about beauty and what makes for spiritual beauty and even physical beauty. Um, I would say that we have perhaps like Western culture is somewhat um, beauty obsessed. Uh, other cultures, maybe all cultures are. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so it's interesting that I found a couple of passages that seem to speak to this. The first one doesn't sound quite so much about that as it is just about images in our minds and whether they can be visible or not. Mm -hmm. Laying some foundation. No pun That's intended. Right. <laughs> like makeup, right? Isn't that called foundation? Anyway. You nailed you can it. Tell him you're the expert. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> that was nice. A good makeup good joke there. That was great. <laughs> you know, my, my um, repertoire of makeup jokes is relatively limited, but the ones that are in there... Yep. <laughs> they are really good. We just served this up for you just like that. <laughs> so Swedenborg makes the interesting point in this passage I'm about to read that uh, we have concrete mental images for even the most abstract concepts, but we ourselves don't even know what they are or what they look like. Hmm. Just intriguing idea. So he writes, only through concepts formed from facts and sense impressions can we corroborate doctrinal truth. Absolutely everything we think about, even the deepest mystery of faith, comes with some earthly sense-based image, hmm. even though we usually have no idea of the true character of that image. In the other life, if we wish, it can be displayed for our minds or even, if we so desire, for our eyes to see. In the other world, such things can be presented to view. This seems unbelievable, but is still true. Wow. I, I think it is true. My, my first reaction when you said we have a mental image to go with that concept is, yes, we do. We do. I, I almost think of it, maybe it's like a subliminal like how the how subliminal images can affect 
how you think about something if they just flash mm. something really quickly across the screen and you don't even really realize it's there i think when there's certain things when i'm thinking about them there's some kind of like square or a box or a something that helps me think about it so i i'm going to say that this is true that's interesting where my mind went thinking about it was in terms of memories like lately for me when i'm when i'm reflecting on something or reflecting on feelings I have or certain thoughts, like really wanting to get sort of like get to the bottom of a belief I have or something like that. It's so clearly interwoven with all of these memories, like memories get sort of pulled up and brought to my mind to reflect on. So it's like, it's as if ideas and concepts kind of live or connect to certain memories and and when I reflect on them, the the image of the memory, which was a sense experience that I had, is what comes to mind that then I can I can feel something about it and I start to be able to reflect or think in new ways about whatever it is that that's holding for me. So I think that's so fascinating. That's awesome. Yeah. Doesn't Swedenborg even say at one point that when you think of somebody or some place in the other life, everything you've ever thought about it or all the experiences you've had with it display themselves, almost like a heads up display. And yeah. that's right. So yeah, I mean that that's that's a great point that you can't really separate your memories of experiences around things with with the things. Yeah. And we live in a very visual world, so it's hard for us to put ourselves back into the eighteenth century and think about how Mm-hmm. Just amazing this was to to say that. You know, now right. we may have the idea that you can sort of download things from somebody's mind or something. But but um, it's interesting that he says that there are also memorable occurrences where he talks about people's mental image of the Trinity. And yes. um, that some of their images are quite, you know, foolish, like one person just sending another person to run around the world or, or something and he's holding a dove or and um, implied in that passage is that there may be features of what you're thinking about it that you don't know yourself you don't realize it's got a hook on the back or it's got a, yeah. you know a handle on the side or whatever it might be uh, and also is very interested that he says that it can be shown to your mind and even if you want to your eyes in the other world like, what is that difference I love that. Isn't that like a major concept, a major idea in Swedenborg, or a, a major headline if you're reading his works, is that if you got down to the very essence of an idea, it would be like a like an animal. Like it's an object. He talks about the correspondence mm-hmm. of the things that are in angels' minds uh, when they manifest as manifesting Ooh. as animals in the afterlife. That stuff that we think of as having almost no form actually if you can see it clearly has a very intricate form very intricate yeah all the organs and limbs and features and characteristics and that's a really fascinating point and that feature that in the afterlife when you see those forms you have the opportunity to know exactly what it's representing at the same time and that's what i think is so wild about this that I do think is core to what Swedenborg says about the afterlife that uh, it makes sense that there's just this facility when we're in that spiritual realm to be able to 
see ex- like see what we're dealing with and once you're seeing something then it's so easy to like oh okay i would need to change this part or this could go over here or that doesn't quite look right you know like you can just you get so much information mm. and in our world you know in this realm we have that in our consciousness but it's like you you it takes some more effort so it's just amazing to imagine being uh fully in that realm where you are seeing this stuff and like yeah you could have your mind changed pretty quickly if you're just like look this is what you believe <laughs> do you really believe that you know here's a picture of it oh, i would pay three million dollars to be able to see my my mind in that way mm-hmm. just to know yeah, this is oh, this is where you see this the cord got wrapped around here so you got to <laughs> unwrap that before you can move this thing yes yeah it was two i think two episodes ago Chelsea, you, you were talking about how there was this necessary foundation of physical objects for us to link thoughts with the angels. Jonathan, remember you had brought that passage forward where it was from volume four, yeah. where he's talking about the Holy Supper and that during it, if you were oh, right. thinking of you know, love to the Lord when you saw the bread and you're thinking of divine truth when you saw the wine, that would make your mind kind of like angels and then the angels would be able to share thoughts with you. And you were remarking, Chelsea, that the you still got to have that external object to look at to as part of the equation. And it's yeah. true. That, that links up to what you were just saying, that even if you are seeing the correspondence of the state of intelligence as an angel in heaven that represents as a garden... Still, that garden is only, when you're seeing it, you think about what it represents. So in a, in a way, I guess it's kind of like chicken and egging itself. There, yes. There's two parts to it. There's the unseeable. I guess it's the, the, the good and then the truth. Like the visible form of it is the truth, but that is just a visible form of the underlying essence. Oh, so I love I'm that. saying all the, all the Swedenborg terms in a row, but, but I think I'm making a point. <laughs> mm. I see it. I see what you're saying. And that little phrase, if we wish, in the quote, almost seems like, you know, when you're getting health care and they ask your permission for this or that, you know, uh, I just picture some angel saying, if you wish, I could show you what that thought looks like. Right. Like you don't have to see it. But if you want to, but so weird that someone, how did you get a scan of my mind and see something that I don't see about myself. I thought yeah. I clicked that little button that said, don't track my data. Right. Now you have everything that's in my mind. This next passage is about inner beauty and also inner ugliness and how both of those things can look exactly the same way outwardly. He's been talking about people who are defiant which i think in his his view of the world is is not great and then he talks about quote those who are not defiant act talk seek wealth and indulge in pleasure in the same ways as those who are so much so that in external appearance they can hardly be told apart only their aims differentiate them To put it another way, only what they love differentiates them, since what we love is our aim. Yet although they look the same in their outward form or body, 
They have nothing in common in their inner form or spirit. People who are in correspondence, and I want to hit pause and just say, mm-hmm. oh, what does that mean? People who are in correspondence, and he explains, whose outer self harmonizes with their inner self. So almost, as, you know, that you correspond with yourself. Your outer self corresponds with your inner self. Such people have a spirit that is radiant and beautiful as heavenly love is when embodied. People who are in opposition, whose outer self resists their inner self, may look the same on the outside, but their spirit is dark and ugly as self-love and materialism are, or as contempt and hatred are when embodied. Mm. Man, I love that. So first of all, it's just making me think like heavenly love and contempt and hate, like that is like behavioral. Like that's like about what you do and how you exist, Uh, you know, your way of being that isn't, you know, rather than being just like this objective, what you look like, you know, or something like that, that is what gives that inner radiance is or not. That just like struck me right off the bat. Um, So, so interesting. There's so many other thoughts I have, but if you have other things you want to say, Curtis, I'll give you a chance. Sure. Well, just expanding on what you're saying there about the difference between spiritual beauty and physical beauty, spiritual beauty seems fair. It seems right because it seems just arbitrary and and everything around we we talk about as you mentioned in the beginning that where western culture is beauty obsessed and we we mean that usually in a negative way that people are um superficial and and also that it's just it's not nice to say some people are beautiful and some are not and it puts pressure on people and everything like that and the, the reason why yeah, in movies and things, it's almost a cliche to be like, no, look at who's really the beautiful one, the one with inner beauty, is because like physical beauty is totally arbitrary and just, it's not fair. It's not fair. But mm-hmm. spiritually, it's almost like it's a useful service to say, well, yeah, that that way of living that you ha- have that hurts people and ultimately hurts you and is is really damaging and bad that doesn't look good either yes that you just right. see it mm. for it this shows you what that's really like and that way of being humble and kind and loving to others is beautiful inside and so it's beautiful outside that yeah. there wouldn't be the same it's fine to be it's good to to be uh beauty obsessed spiritually speaking because you're right yes. it, it is caused by beautiful behavior and it's good right. for us to like beautiful behavior and not like bad behavior because that's helpful to everyone yes i think that's exactly i feel like you nailed it and that's another point where swedenborg uses this term well in this case i guess he's calling it radiance but just like this concept of beauty and then completely subverting your sense of what that word means because you think oh there's going to be these particular things and when they're arranged in this order i'll know you know that looks better than this or something but the essence of a thing is are those spiritual substances you know like that the way we relate to each other how we relate to ourselves and all of that and that just is like oh yeah that makes sense on a really deep level like that resonates 
as true um, for me. And something else that I loved about this number is it's one of those ones where Swedenborg is using the term the inner self to only mean our like higher self, our heavenly self, you know, like the way God's will for us of who we are in God, like our angel self, like that is, that is our inner self. And I think people can get confused or get like, oh, I don't have a good inner self. You know, like my inner self is sort of uh, corrupt or I have all these bad things inside or something. And it's like, I just love it when Swedenborg communicates in this way because it's just saying, no, 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 no. That's a misconception. You have an inner self that is goodness, you know, that is connected to the divine, that is a vessel of heavenly love. And when you feel all corrupt or if you see things in yourself that, you know, you know are harmful to yourself or other people and you, you know, you feel trapped or whatever, things aren't great. It's like, that is just a misalignment. There is something in your outer self that is not in alignment with that inner self and that's what we have to work with you know we'll we'll figure Mm. that out and that can uh you know i'm remembering one of the earlier episodes where you said it's like you know washing washing the dirt off your feet you know like that's that's easy to work with so you know kind of don't forget your inner self is that heavenly love and Mm. you know the 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 mix-up happens when like you said, he said your spirit has this contempt and hatred in it, but that's because your outer self isn't in alignment with your inner self. That's a great point. And I also love the word embodied in here. It just mm-hmm. it is very um, stimulating to my mind that that is a way of saying, like as Curtis said at the beginning there, uh you may just think it's just things that you're doing. But when you're doing, you are also embodying. Yeah. So you're embodying one spirit or another. And how beautiful that embodiment of love and compassion and kindness is, how, how radiant that is. If I said that, I, I don't remember. I w- because I just, uh, right there, I was like, oh, that's a great point. I never thought of that. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I did say that. <laughs> yeah, you did. And <laughs> we'll give you the credit in any case. Um, I just think that that concept of embodiment is so core to the theology or spiritual reality that Swedenborg writes about in his works, which is that that's God's goal. Like that is the divine's intent is to have this heavenly love embodied in us mm. as these unique vessels uh, of of love and wisdom, and we're all unique. So just that like radiance, talk about it being just like amplified and you know exponentially growing in every direction through these through individuals who who create that alignment, who come into integrity with their with their inner self. You know, get to know that truth of who they are inside. And back to that point that you were making about the inner self in everyone being good. You you could think that the truth would be, well, the, the worst, the, the arch villains are those whose inner self is the most corrupted. 
But actually, as you progress in evil, it's not a corrupting of the inner self. It's a detachment from the inner self. Mm-hmm. That the, right. the, your, your most, if you get to be all the way, hypothetically, you're all the way evil, it would just mean you're totally disconnected from your inner self. Your inner self is so good. That, you know that story where the effigy of a little baby pops out of the evil spirit? Mm. And that's like the inner self. Even somebody who had totally devoted yeah. their life to evil, they still have that yeah. good inner self in there. That's just, it's, yeah, it's nice. I know. Mm. It's functional too. You know, you can do something with that. Otherwise, if you just think your inner self is, you know, a goner, then you're, you're sort of left with not many options. <laughs> so. Well, this next passage may turn everything on its head. I don't know what you'll make of this. <laughs> I take back um, everything I said. Yes, it may sound as though it's contradicting, but it's talking about the story of Rebecca and Isaac and um, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and Rebecca is said to be very good to look at. And, and Swedenborg explains, and listen to this inner meaning. You'll never guess. The reason very good to look at symbolizes beauty. You didn't see that coming, did you? The reason very good to look at symbolizes beauty. Here, the beauty of a desire for truth is that all beauty comes from goodness that has innocence within it. Nice. I want to repeat that. I just think it's so beautiful. All beauty comes from goodness that has innocence within it. When the goodness of the inner self acts on the outer self, it actually creates beauty. That is the source of all human beauty. <laughs> Wait, do, do the do-over again treatment to the second part, too. <laughs> when the goodness of the inner self acts on the outer self, it actually creates beauty. That is the source of all human beauty. The reason I say that sounds like a contradiction is that he just said that, oh, it doesn't matter what you look like. You know, people just will look the same on the outside, whether they're horrible inside or or good. And yet here he's saying that human, so what does he mean by human? I don't know. But here he's saying human beauty, the the source of it, maybe it gets twisted along the way or something, but is that goodness in the inner self and how that manifests in the outer self is beauty. I think that makes sense if, especially if he's talking about, uh, you know, humanity as the spiritual beings that we are for eternity. And so the outer self, you know, the spirit that we evolve and develop while we're in these physical things, um, (laughs) like that uh, we leave the physical body behind and we still have a human form you know Swedenborg says and like that makes sense that that human form that is that the way other people in heaven interact with us is through the outer self that we have in in heaven except for those angels who have like this special access to our inner self but um but so that outer self is what we look like and that that makes sense you know that that Man, that goodness with the innocence inside, that's great. Yeah, and he, he says at one point that all the the way we look physically is because of our 
our parents and our development in the womb right. and an inflow what from the physical you? world. But I think that, so that might be like your bone structure, but there's times when your mind can affect how you look in oh, the yeah. way that it shapes your expressions and and the way you move. So there's could be times when beauty in the inner self, I don't think it can like actually change your, your physical makeup, but you could times when you could see it maybe coming through a little bit, but it, it just strikes me what a bizarre thing beauty is when it's not connected to some kind of good attribute. Cause him saying, right. Oh, an affection for truth is beautiful. I'm like, of course, of course it is beautiful. And it doesn't matter what sense of the word you're using. It's not like inner beauty or, or the other kind of beauty that's, de- that's separated from morality or that in- goodness with innocence mm. in it is the source of beauty. Well, that's something you could, you could be saying it's beautiful as in it looks beautiful, or you could say it's beautiful as in it is beautiful and they'd be the same thing. But, but beauty divorced from that kind of stuff, it's just this weird, oh yeah, people can have this thing where their face is symmetrical and their features are the right kind of look and you just like to see them. It doesn't make any sense. Like, what is it? Yeah. But when you mm. realize that in in the order it's meant to be in, that's an expression of beautiful internal characteristics. I that just makes total sense. I'm suddenly thinking of a beautiful line from the Psalms that says, "If I remember, may the beauty of the Lord be upon us mm-hmm. and establish the work of our hands for us." Um, that that idea of divine beauty being able to be imparted to us in some way, which I think is kind of the message of, in a way, of all three of these readings, that that's that's possible for us. And I agree with what you were just saying, Curtis. That I think we do have an instinct about that, meaning that because of our spirits or our angels or something, we we react to beauty in ways that are unfair externally, like they might not represent who somebody is. But in the spiritual world, it does. So we're more ready for that world in a way mm-hmm. than this world. You know, we're ready to judge people by how symmetrical their faces are or, or whatever it might be. And I think that beauty, what I find satisfying about what Swedenborg is saying about beauty here is that when you take off the outer part, you're really we're talking about goodness, you know, that heavenly love that we sort of all have an inner compass to if we're like, if we open ourselves up to it. And and then that, you know, innocence, like these are universal things that is like true where there's so much of a sense of uh, beauty being, you know, relative. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, all that kind of stuff. Like there's something satisfying about like goodness and innocence, which is really that like humility, that, you know, surrender to something larger than yourself, like not to confuse. Yeah. Anyway, like that concept of goodness and innocence, that is like a magnet. And then, but since it's of love, like Swedenborg also writes about how if you, you know, we gravitate towards the love that matches our own love. And so if if we just love other things, we're going to find other things beautiful. You know, we are not going to find that beautiful or just like the variety of appreciation of beauty does have this 
infiniteness to it that mm. that of course can also go to its opposite of people only wanting to gravitate to things that are contemptful and hateful or whatever and it's like you know there's something satisfying to me about that that what Swedenborg is saying allows for this like yes there is something that is beautiful like it is goodness it is this goodness with innocence inside and we are all going to find something beautiful because it accords with our love um and mm. but i also liked what you're saying curtis just about even in this outermost physical level there's that radiance of the spirit that can come through and that i think even can have physiological impact because it's like you know positive psychology like what people are uh studying about the way that our mind really can have real physiological like can make us feel healthy or feel well like those are all things that it's like it's just interesting that interplay that's going on but um so wow didn't think i ha had so much to contemplate with regard to the subject of beauty thanks jonathan <laughs> let's just throw one more thing in there really quick before we're mm -hmm. done you a plant take a plant for example any plant that's going out that's growing outside um, actually zoom out a little bit because I was just um, like let's think about my front yard and there's a, I see it a lot and, but there are times when it just blows me away with its beauty like the trees that are there the bushes that are there and it has to do with I guess the weather but also my state of mind mm -hmm. what I'm trying to get at is there's isn't it true that sometimes some switch flips inside you and you see the beauty sitting in something that you didn't really see before yeah, yeah. And I don't know what that is, but I, I think that gets to what you're you're saying, Chelsea, that that there is there's capacity not only do things become more beautiful as they approach the divine more, but somehow I think I would imagine that angels see more beauty in things than we would yes. see in those same things. I love that. Yes. I think that's so great. That strikes me as very true. Um that when I've been in a kind of elevated spiritual state, uh, the physical things that I see just seem so gorgeous and the yeah. colors are so gorgeous and, and um, it actually affects my perception of the physical world. And when I'm in a terrible state, things and people just can look horrible to me sometimes uh, just because I'm in a bad state. You know, yes. it seems like everybody looks worse because I'm not feeling good. Man, I'm so glad we were able to bring in that last like sort of angle on this because I feel like that's so, so useful. Well, let's, let's bring one more. I'm just kidding. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, good work, guys. We done good. Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks so much, Jonathan. You're both gorgeous. <laughs> you're just in a good state. That's why you're saying that. <laughs> but you are particularly radiant today. So thank you. <laughs> we'll see you next time. I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. 
If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com slash donate. And thank you for listening. Thank you.